focus your attention on uh, the three missional foci of Mission Ebenezer Family Church that our uh, lead pastor has put before us, Pastor Josh, uh, has put this before us as our mission statement. And um, it says, we exist to restore, equip, and send people to impact the world for Christ. And we've just heard from our missions directors, Primo and Jackie, uh, regarding the last word there, sending people uh, to the world uh, to win them to Jesus Christ. And so uh, we support that sending principle of our statement by sending missionaries to places like El Salvador, uh, places like Peru, places like uh, Argentina, Guatemala. And, uh, and so that's one of the sending, uh, that's one of the principal foci of who we are, that we want to send people uh, to tell other people about Jesus that would not otherwise have the opportunity to hear about the saving grace of God. Um, we have heard, and many of us have responded. Are you paying attention? Pay attention, man. Uh, we have heard, and many of us have responded to that, and the Lord Jesus has delivered us from lives of brokenness and depredation and has given us a brand new life. If you look up at the first principle, it is we exist to restore, okay? And the second one is we exist to equip, which is our discipleship uh, aspect here at Mission Ebenezer and the cell groups that uh, Pastor is organizing uh, to reach people in the different cities of this regional church. Today, what I would like to focus on is the first word of this missional statement. And the word is restore. Can you say that with me? Uh, restore. Can you say it again? Restore. And so I'd like to uh, look at the word restore and focus the rest of uh, this message on what restore means to me. What restore means to me. And I think that uh, a positive uh, verse in the scripture that puts the finger on this idea of restoration is found in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Would you open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 3? Genesis chapter 3. And um, let's look at uh, verses 8, 9, and 13. Verses 8, 9, and 13 of Genesis chapter 3. When you find it, would you say amen? Or show some signs of life. Praise God. <laughs> Nod your head. Uh, say yes, amen. Say, I got it, Pastor. Okay, excellent. So shall we shall we shall we continue? And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God 
among the trees of the garden. They hid themselves among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said to him, where are you? Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? Whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And the man said, the woman that you gave me, she made me do it. And so I ate. And the Lord God said to Eve, what is this? What have you done, woman? And the woman said, the snake made me do it. And I did eat. And the Lord said unto the snake, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed. Above all cattle and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and the dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity, I will put conflict between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In sorrow shall you bring forth your children and your desire shall be to your husband and he shall rule over you. Now sisters, you don't like to hear that, do you? He shall rule over you. I'm sure half of Mission Ebenezer, uh, the men don't rule anyway. Uh, can I hear an amen from the ladies? And, and, and from the guys who think they're ruling. And unto Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. And sorrow shall you eat of it all the days of your life. And then verse 23, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground for where he was taken. So he drove him out and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep them from returning to the tree of life. It's a sad chapter in human history that in the springtime of creation, Adam and Eve were in the best situation possible. They had everything they needed, everything they wanted. They had a very close friendship with God. 
I'm broken by disobedience. I'm broken by sin. I'm broken by anxiety. I'm broken by depression. I'm broken by hatred. I'm broken by bitterness. I'm broken by squabbles. They were in the best situation ever, having what they needed and having what they wanted. But the most important thing that they had, both Adam and Eve, was that every day in the cool of the evening, God showed up. God showed up looking for his friend Adam so they could have their daily constitutional and talk together and fellowship together and exchange dialogue together to talk about the glory of God and the beauty of the universe that God had created. The beauty and the order of nature that God had made with his hands. Every day, they both look forward to this walk in the evening until that fatal day when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Are you listening? Pay attention. Until that day that they disobeyed God and began to blame each other and to begin to blame the devil, which is what many of us do when we sin and do things that uh, break our relationship with God. We blame everybody but ourselves. And when we take a good look at who we are, we realize that the consequences and the results of disobedience are not what we thought they would be, although God said that the day that you eat of that tree, on that day, you shall surely die. And no matter amount of vitamins that you take, no amount of medication that you take, no amount of cosmetic surgery that you have to help you defy gravity. No matter what you and I can do to prolong our days, as long as there's a God in heaven and as long as there's people on earth, we will die physically and we will die spiritually because of our defiance of the trust that God put in us, in Adam. Now you can imagine the question, what have you done? Do you understand what you've done? If the entire universe was created for the glory of God and the entire cosmic order that you see, the stars, the planets, the galaxies swirling around in outer space. You need to understand that everything that God created was created for you and for me. The universe was created for us to enjoy forever. We were given life eternal in the garden to never die so that we can inhabit worlds so that we can constitute systems way beyond the ones that we have. But because of sin, 
because of depredation, because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden, the relationship with God was broken. Sin breaks your relationship with God. Sin breaks my relationship with God, my relationships with you, relationships with my family, relationships to things become perverted, relationships with others become corrupted, and sin corrupts just about everything that we have in our life. Those of us that have experienced the ravages of sin understand what it's like to have sin break up families, divorce, a disintegration of everything that's whole, the falling apart of things that are good, fighting over inheritance, fighting over trusts and wills, fighting over money. We ought to be one of the happiest societies on the face of the earth. But in America, the more we have, the, hap the less happy we are. We're not happy with the stuff we have. You can have all the cocaine in the world. You're still not happy until we blow our brains out with it. We can have all the money in the world and we're still not happy because there's not enough insurance to cover the things that we own. We're not a happy people. And what is it that makes us unhappy? Sin breaks the relationship that we have with things, breaks the relationship we have with people, and breaks finally the most important relationship of all. It breaks our bond with Almighty God. It breaks our trust with God. That's why it hurt him so deeply. I asked myself that question as a theologian and as an ethicist. I asked myself that question, well, is God so big? If he's so great, if he's so marvelous, if he's so fantastic, if he's so humongous, why is it that two pipsqueaks on a blue pinprick on the outer recesses of the Milky Way galaxy in the midst of 300 billion galaxies, why is it that these little two pipsqueaks violated his heart so badly that he would make us die physically, why would it mean so much to this God? You understand what I'm saying? Why couldn't he just look it over? Why couldn't he say, oh, these are nothing, man. I could come down there and then smash them like a miniature frog. I get rid of all the Mexicans. I get rid of all the Filipinos, all the Asians, all the Nigerians. I mean, including the Samoans. I get rid of all of them. You know what? If God is, do you understand what I'm saying? If he's so big, why would this be such a big deal? And the reason is that the scripture tells us that he created us the crown of the creation. In a certain sense, this is really an anthropocentric universe. That God made everything for you and for me. That the universe makes so no sense without human consciousness to perceive it. It was a quid pro quo in terms of natural physics. And so this is a big deal because God had bigger dreams for humanity. When we get excited about sending a measly little satellite with a telescope into outer space, 
The closer it gets to the sun, the sooner it'll burn to a chicharron. <laughs> we get excited about sending a little rocket to Mars and have a little creepy crawler from Walmart crawl on the surface of the Martian planet, get back and send pictures. Oh, oh, look at that. Look, mommy. No, God had bigger plans, but the plans were destroyed by sin. And God's got bigger plans for you and for me, my friend, but the plans that God has are different for you and me. His plan is this first word, to restore. What does restore mean? Restore assumes that something's broken. Restore assumes that something has disintegrated or is falling apart. Isn't it difficult to restore a broken relationship? I had a friend one time and I said something to him and he said something back. We had never got into a squabble like that before. We'd always been friends. We always loved each other. But he had a bad day and I had a bad day. And we got together and it was a real bad day. And that broke our friendship. And every time that we would see each other, he would turn and I would turn. And that continued until the day he died. And that never was restored. And I feel so bad about it. I grieve about it. I'm paying for it. And I said, man, if only we, we could have done something to get it back together before he passed. This would be a better life for me than to hide at Home Depot whenever I see him and sneak out of road 23. He's on 24 and look around the side to see if he's coming. Don't laugh. I said, don't laugh. Don't say hallelujah. That's just a praise island. You don't know what a praise island is, huh? As people can't stand silence, so whenever Pastor Silent, Pastor Josh keeps quiet, people go, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's only because they're nervous. They don't know how to handle silence. But listen, let's get serious. Let's get back to this, this, this restoration thing. Let's back, get back to this uh, wholeness thing. That when you sin and I sin, it breaks our relationship with God. And there's nothing that needs to be renewed more than to have the sin problem taken care of in your heart and mind so that you and God, me and God, me and Jesus, you and Jesus, you and the Holy Spirit, me and the Holy Spirit, me and my personal conscience can get back to where we are at peace, we are at joy, we're free again. And it only comes when we serve God and when sin has been removed out of our life. But it's a hard thing to remove. You see what it says there? What have you done? What have, you know what happened in the Garden of Eden? The entire universe began to come apart at its seams. The entire cosmic order began to disintegrate at the seams because of the problem in human consciousness. This is not just a local planetary problem. 
This is a universal problem since human consciousness is at the center of the entire cosmic order. When we sinned, all the universe came apart. The Apostle Paul says in chapter 8 of Romans, and the universe groans unto the day when it looks forward to the redemption of humankind through Jesus Christ our Lord and his precious blood at the cross of Calvary and his powerful resurrection, then begin to heal the brokenness of this universe piece by piece. Blessed be his holy name. Are you following me so far? So that sin is a serious thing. Sin is a horrible thing, first of all, because it demands a consequence. And the consequence is punishment. God cannot stand sin in any way, shape, or form. Whatever we read out there in the newspapers about this ideology and that ideology and this idea and that idea, the problem is, and, and then people get mad because we say this is sin and that's sin. God hates sin, but he loves a sinner. And he wants to restore sinners. And he wants to renew sinners because God wants you and I to be back into friendship and fellowship with him. And when we are, our conscience will say amen. But when we're not, our conscience that God put in our hearts will be the first one to accuse us of breaking the bond with God. Now, isn't it horrible when you come to hear God and you come to hear the Holy Spirit and your conscience begins to bother you? But not, not only is it now your conscience, but it's the Holy Spirit hammering the, hammering the dickens out of it so that you wish you had never become a Christian because it's worse now. Before I can handle it, I could thumb my nose at God, say, I don't need to go to church. And that's why some people are hiding from church, like Adam and Eve. They don't want to come to church because they don't want to hear the bold gospel tell us and me that you are a sinner. You need to stop that. And we don't want to stop it. So why should I go there and listen to a preacher tell me that I'm wrong? I'll just stay at home. And hide in my living room, smoking cigarettes, reading Los Angeles Times, and drinking orange juice on Sunday morning. When we should be here in the house of God, listening to the word of God challenge us, and listening to the word of God that says, even though you've broken my commandments, even though you're a sinner, I love you just the way you are. And the Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in Jesus Christ shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It doesn't matter how big the sin is that you've committed. doesn't matter what kind of sin you came in with this morning. It doesn't matter who you did to what or who or to yourself. I want you to know that even though there's a judgment and a punishment as a consequence from sin, what we couldn't do to pay back God, Jesus did on the cross of Calvary where your sins and my sins were all heaped upon his shoulders and Jesus took your place at the cross and your place under God's judgment and because Jesus died for you and for me, you and I can be free of our estrangement from God and become whole again and restored again and renewed again to be the kind of person that God made you to be, that God made me to be. And to live with my conscience. Can somebody say hallelujah right there? Hallelujah. 
Did you know that it's so wonderful to be free? Did you know it's wonderful to be renewed? A man came sneaking into Jesus one night and he said, what must I do to be saved? And he said, you must be born again. Jesus told him. They caught a lady that was in adultery in flagrante delicto, which means in the very act. They brought her out with her makeup running on her cheeks. They brought her out sweaty and perspiring. They let the scribe go probably and brought her and threw her down at Jesus' feet as she was committing adultery. The lady was sitting there groveling on the dirt. The dirt of that street in Jerusalem mixing with her sweat and her tears and her shame and her guilt because sin brings shame. Sin brings guilt. Did you know that? You don't know that? How many of us know that when, when we've broken God's commandments that it brings shame and guilt and hurt and pain and we want to hide? Hey, pay attention, brother. Thanks. We want to hide. So we hide behind drug abuse, sex abuse, alcohol abuse, self-abuse. We hide behind all kinds of things so the real man doesn't have to stand up in the mirror and look at himself in the morning because you know that when you look at yourself directly, you look and I look disgusting to each other because the sin thing hasn't been taken care of. I don't care how much you shave and put cologne on. Cologne can't take away the smell of sin. And we hide. And God, when God was walking in the garden, Elijah, do you think that God knew where they was? Yeah, he did. God knew where he was. He goes, Adam, Adam. And watch this question. Where are you? Come on, man. God knows everything. He knew where they were at. Why do you think God said, Adam, where are you? Because he wanted him to confess. He wanted him to uh, repent. He wanted him to come out of hiding. And that's how God wants it for you and for me to come out of hiding. Why? Because God loves us so much. He wants to walk with us again. He wants a fellowship again. He wants that fresh friendship again. He wants that joy again. He wants that wholeness again. God loves you so much. He wants to walk with you. But it's us that walk away from God. Why are you hiding? I'm naked. How many of us try to cover our nakedness with everything in the world, but it still doesn't work? We're still exposed to the eyes of the living God. Do you know what you've done when you sin, Eve? Isaac, do you know what you've done when you break God's law, you break his heart, and he's got to punish? No, man. I let Cobra get away with a big one when he was little. He wrecked my Lincoln, my, my Crown Victoria. He wrecked my Crown Victoria. I, I, you know, well, I shouldn't have given him the keys. I said, Cobra, move the car. So he was moving the car to the driveway before they had those little televisions. 
How many of you got those televisions in your car? Aren't you glad? In those days, you had to like twist your neck back and forth, but when you're old, you can't move so far. And instead of stepping on the brakes, he stepped on the accelerator and reverse. Bounce across the street and landed on top of our neighbor's block wall. And the car was up on the back wheels and he turned the car off up there. And he was sitting there in the back in the, and the car was up on the block wall and the wheels are going. And I walked over to the side of the car. He was only 14 and he was sinking down in the car. And I took one look at him. And I'm a, I've been a pretty mean guy to my sons. And I have to ask apologies. I re- <laughs> Do you hear that? That's the laugh of a cynic. That's my son laughing, the lead pastor laughing. And I was in a good mood that day. And Koba looked at me, and the car was going, I go, Koba, are you going to leave it there? (laughs) I don't know, Daddy. I'm sorry, Daddy. I go, it's not your fault, it's a thing. Things can be fixed. People with the sin problem, we can be fixed. We can be fixed. The Bible puts it all together. For God so loved you so much, my friend, if you come in this morning with a sin-sick soul, you come in this morning broken, You got hatred going on in your family. You got guilt about something that you did or have done and you haven't settled that with God. You're hurt by someone that abused you. You hate, you want to kill. Jesus says that for God so loved the world, he gave his son and his son told in the Lord's prayer, And forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. Scripture tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one of us in here. No matter how good you think you are, nobody here can stand in judgment of someone else and think that before, like I said, you put three holy days together. Now you're saint. Frank, we're all sinners. We all need Jesus. Scripture says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, physical death and spiritual death. Why do we die physically? Because we have to pay that part of the penalty for disobeying God. But then there's a spiritual death that's even worse. That's eternal. And that one leads to hell. And hell starts here. And there is a hell. Or else Jesus wouldn't talk about hell. Now nobody in church wants to talk about hell. No TV preachers, no radio preachers. Nobody wants to talk about hell. Everybody wants money. Everybody wants a big church. If you talk about hell, you won't get a lot of people and you won't get a lot of money to build a big building. Well, we're going to talk about hell. We're going to talk about hell. 
I'm going to say, if Jesus said there is a hell, I believe there is a hell. And, and if there is a hell, I want to avoid it. <laughs> and you want to avoid it. And one way to avoid it, but more importantly, to restore your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, is by confessing that you're a sinner. If you come here today with a load of sin and you haven't squared things away with God, my friend, I don't want to be in your shoes if a truck hits you after church. Sorry for saying that. And you end up in the wrong place. Or in the judgment day when you stand before Almighty God and he says, what did you do with what that preacher was saying that Sunday morning about getting things straight with me. I don't want to be in your shoes if you have not made the decision to confess. As the scripture says this, if you confess your sins, it says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, that with the mouth man confesses and with the heart he believes unto salvation. And today you can do that. Because Jesus paid the price for your salvation and mine. Bless you, my brother. Who paid the price that we might go free? Because God is trying to restore humanity, you and me, back to the wholeness that we had in the garden. The word today is restore. Everybody knows what restore means, right? Renew. I went to Cuba in 1990. I saw 1954 American Chevys look brand new. And the Cubans made their own parts. Because in Cuba, you can't trade. They made their own parts for all the American classics. They haven't made spare parts for the Russian cars. But they make it for American classics. They're very, very ingenious people. And they restored those cars. And they renewed them. And made them all over again. But you know when God restores our heart, it's like gluing together something that's broken in the house. Have you ever broken a special dish? Right. The other day, my lovely wife was working by the stove. And by accident, she moved her hand and it broke her favorite teapot that she's had since we were married. It's red. She broke it. And, and, and you know, Papa doesn't like to do those kinds of things. But I say, you know what, honey? Let me see if I could put it back together. Bring it back to wholeness. And uh, it didn't come out just right. <laughs> but it works. And that's the way our salvation is. The Lord Jesus died on the cross for you. 
His blood cleans your sins away if you confess, repent of your sin. God puts that broken pot together, but you can still see the cracks. But it's usable for the glory of God. And so that's what it means to restore. But the point is, is that we could not pay the price for the debt that we owe God for sinning against him. There's nothing that you can do to pay God back. It's an eternal deed. Only an eternal action can repair what we've done by our sin. So no matter how much you sacrifice, no matter how many things I do to try to pay it back, that sin always stays there. There's only one thing. There's only one that can remove the stain of sin away from your heart and mind. And that's what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary where he paid the price for your sins and mine. And God dumped all the sin of the entire world on his precious soldiers, on the shoulders of a man that never sinned once, who said, send me, I'll go. And he died for you, friend. He died for me. He died for you, friend, to take that sin away. If you but confess and repent and have faith, God will remove your sin today. i tell you what it's like what Jesus did. There was a little boy that lived in the prairies and he had to walk three miles to a one-room schoolhouse. In the wintertime, he had to walk in the snow and his shoes were torn. Are you listening? Pay attention. Turn that phone off. That ticks me off. And he's walking in the snow with torn shoes, no jacket, little skinny 10-year-old. His shirt was torn. Poorest family in the prairie. But he went to school. No lunch. They were poor. And in that one room, schoolhouse the teaching master was mean and the punishment for any infraction was 20 lashes with the branch of a tree and a little boy went to school and he was so cold blue, purple his lips were blue from the cold that he sat next to the pot belly stove where the fire was roaring. And he asked the teacher if he could stay there during the winter cold outside while the kids with parkas and jackets went outside to throw snowballs and enjoy themselves. He was sitting in the room shaking and he was hungry. And through the holes in his shirt, you could see his ribs, his little ribs. And he was hungry. One day the teacher stood before the class after lunch and said, someone came and told me that someone took a, a sandwich from their lunch. And this is the third time that items have been missing from the lunches. Are you listening? Who did it? Little guy 
bowed his head. Nobody raised their hand. Who did it? He smacked the desk with the stick. Who did it? And the little boy started shaking and crying. And he stood up and he said, I did it. Come up here. Because you know the punishment for breaking the rules. And this one is stealing. So the punishment is you need to remove your shirt in front of the class and stretch your body across the desk. There's 20 lashes with the branch. And so he started crying. He took his shirt off. You could count his ribs on both sides. Stretched out his arms across the desk. And his, he was about to beat him. The biggest, strongest, tallest boy in the class who had a football scholarship from that classroom stood up and he said, can I take the lashes for him? Are you sure? Yes, he goes. So he took his shirt off and his muscles rippled. You could see his six pack. He put his arms way across the desk and stretched out while the little boy stood by crying. And he was beaten 20 times. He didn't flinch. He didn't make a sound. It was done. The teacher brushed his hair back from his sweaty face. The boy put on his shirt and tucked it in and went over to the little guy and put his arms around him and said, from now on, I'm bringing an extra sandwich for you. And you and I are going to be friends. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. The punishment belongs to you and me for sin. But someone bigger. Someone stronger. Went to the cross. And took the beating. That you deserve. Upon himself. And because of that. We're free. 